As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. I'm thrilled to be joined by my friend and colleague, Michael Felder of Stadium, to break down the biggest storylines in college football this week in an hour or less. If you enjoy this podcast, just a reminder to be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Staples and Friends show. Five stars because, much like your favorite recruits, we want to make an immediate impact. And Felder, it's been a few weeks since I've seen you, and it feels like the football season is kind of flipped on its head. It's, you know, it's things are changing by the hour. Opponents are changing by the hour. You got to, like, keep track. I think as we're recording this, San Jose State and Hawaii have a game scheduled that's announced TBD location. So it's hard to keep up. Yeah, uh, San Jose State, obviously, I was looking forward to them taking on Boise State. I was looking to see if they could stay undefeated. I love me some Nick Starkle and um, – it's it's a it's an ever-evolving landscape and kind of to take people behind the scenes most of us when we work we like to have a plan and it's been really hard to have a plan this year because things are constantly changing so we got a lot to get into i'll let you lead us down the road um obviously ohio state is kind of the biggest story on a national scale yeah so you know as we're recording this monday afternoon um you know ohio state did put out some information earlier on monday that some of the players have been able to return to the facilities and work out in small groups today um again monday they are doing virtual meetings um you know to be to be proactive in that space and you know gene smith spent a lot of his time on saturday when he met with the media talking about Obviously, you know, all the immediate concerns about taking care of those who've tested positive. Ryan Day is one of them, um, but also trying to provide the opportunity to play this game against Michigan State. Everyone knows the numbers. Everyone knows that they've already missed two games on their schedule and they need to get to six to be eligible for the Big Ten championship game. So that is the number one story, I think, in college football this week. Um, but there's also some other you know, smaller news in the Big Ten. Michael Penix Jr. is out for the year with a torn ACL. Just brutal news for, um, you know, honestly, you could have said he's the best quarterback in the Big Ten so far after, uh, you know, the way he played against Ohio State. So he's out. That is a huge bummer 
for Indiana and, and the season that they're having. Michigan is also potentially dealing with some COVID issues. They are waiting for the uh, results of, of PCR testing. They went virtual on Monday as well. Um, so that actually also throws a wrinkle into Ohio State getting to six games, um, which obviously I think a lot of people crack jokes of how funny it would be if Michigan cost Ohio State a chance at the Big Ten title. So really the the uncertainty around whether or not they can even get to the championship game and be a conference champion, I think has a lot of people nervous about their playoff chances. And I'm curious your read on this. I mean, is there a minimum amount of games that you think the playoffs should require, even if it's unofficial? Like, do they need to be a conference champ? Are they going to get a look even so if they get Wisconsin in a second place game? What, what do you think? I think obviously they've talked years for the last few years about giving preference to conference champs and wanting it to be conference champs. So that's been had that, that, that discussion has been had, but we haven't had a year like this. I think that it's a general national consensus that Ohio state is one of the top four teams in the country. Uh, and we talked about with Wisconsin, right? The inability to control what actually, what you're actually able to do, what you, what you can do uh, prior to them dropping a game. So I think that the reality is, The playoff committee, I think, will sit here, look at this, and the reality for them is going to be what's going to give us the best TV show. And Ohio State gives good TV. I don't know if folks realize this, but they do numbers, big numbers, always. And it's also, and and this is, I I will admit to this, I'm admitting to this, I I am a cynic. I am cynical with respect to this. But I look at it, they are going to lose the western part of the United States because there likely will not be a Pac-12 team in there, even though I do love the way that Washington held on against Utah. They're going to lose the western part of the United States. Ohio State is the middle of the country. That's going to be big. They've already lost the southwest because we don't have the Big 12. Likely, The Big 12 is not getting it. And I'm going to tell you guys this, and it sounds crazy, but Clemson and Alabama, that's the same market. That's the same place. So I think, yeah, they've still got an opportunity to get in based upon my cynicism. I hope that's not too behind the curtain for folks, but like, I do think that that's something that's worth considering here. Well, wait, are are you, are are in your mind is, is Notre Dame in the playoff? Because that's still the Midwest. That's still a national brand. I honest, I actually, I did not even think about that with Notre Dame, Notre Dame. Yeah. And Ooh, you know what? Now less confident for Ohio state. (laughs) Geography. I literally drew a mental blank on Notre Dame, but if Notre Dame's in, that's the same place as Ohio State, and that's even more because now we're talking about a national brand where maybe you can draw in some of that West Coast with it. No, you're right. Actually, yeah, thank you for reminding me of that. Thank you for jogging that memory. And so we're looking at – we can get if they can get Notre Dame in, fantastic. Alabama, by the way, oh, boy, they are monsters. and They they are. And it's just one of those things. No, I think you're right, and yeah. You have corrected. Uh, listen, I'm still cynical, and I think that you're. I think even more so now because if the idea is that we can get Notre Dame in, let's get them in. Let's if Clemson beats them and it's a close game, let's get them both in. Now we get Alabama in. Okay, A and M. Okay, let's rock and roll. All right. I mean, I, I think that that is a definite possible 
outcome that we end up with with those four teams to yep. ACC to SEC I, I think you know you could also you need these types of chips to fall that way to to give Cincinnati a real shot as well yes. but but the, the the interesting thing about Ohio State is is going to be again there was no actual minimum set the the playoff kept you know the the criteria vague on purpose which I think is the right thing to do because we've already seen the fact that the Big Ten boxed itself in with this threshold for the championship game and not like allowing for some flexibility is causing some problems, right? Because now if they if they get rid of that standard, it would be, you know, making this loophole for Ohio State or whatever it would be. Um, so I think that that was smart. It was smart not to say, okay, you have to play six games, you have to play five games, you know, whatever the number would be. But we do need to see how much they're going to hold that against teams because we already saw in the first rankings they put Ohio State behind Clemson even though Clemson had a loss and again it was to the number two ranked team you know that that still says something so you know when people say oh can you know can Ohio State get in with five five and oh record that seems really that seems really small but again what if you can get to six what if you get to six and that sixth game is Wisconsin or Iowa in that crossover game December 19th, I, I think that's a little bit different. I, I don't necessarily think beating up on Michigan State and Michigan is going to impress the committee, right? So it, there's a lot of different things going on there. And we also don't know at this point, you know, how many players tested positive, how many are out with contact tracing, um, and the different timelines on return. So it's 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 messy. And um, in, in a messy year on the West, basically because of Minnesota's outbreak, Northwestern has now won the West, assuming most games get played. So it's just been a very weird year. Clearly the Big Ten starting late, having no room for error, no room to make up games, starting when the pandemic was getting worse. Like this has clearly not been ideal. Um, Pac-12 has had the same problems. The leagues that started late started much deeper into just outbreaks everywhere. And, you know, it's just been really frustrating. And I think, you know, if the big 10 ends up not making the playoff because of that, I, I kind of just think that you've got to chalk that up to it's 2020. Like this was, you, you pushed back, you postponed, gave yourself not that much time to work with. And you knew that it was going to be a razor thin margin of error. Yeah. It's, I mean, you just gotta, you gotta, at some point they may have to just take the L and that's just what it is. Um, which is super negative for them, but I want to get kind of positive. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I know that you've done a bunch of work talking about Sarah Fuller. So I want to get your take on it. I know you've got probably deeper insight than most people. So Vandy, Squib Kick, I already saw the, the, of so many of the comments that are patently false. But take us through it. 
Oh yeah. Didn't you know that, um, apparently that's just how strong her leg is. That was not designed, even though literally everyone on the kickoff team is like aiming in that direction. And the, the kick went where it was supposed to, um, that this was some referendum on women have no leg strength and we can't do anything. So, um, so yeah, so it's been, it's been an interesting couple of days. Um, and I, I think let's start with the fact that let's debunk the PR stunt right. narrative. Okay. So let's start there. So the backstory on this is Sarah Fuller is a soccer player. She just won an SEC championship. She was in the daily testing or, or the, the testing protocols because all of the Vanderbilt student athletes in fall sports are Vanderbilt does not have a men's soccer team at the varsity level and their campus got cleared out because it was the end of the semester. So Vanderbilt has COVID issues with their specialists. They need someone who's going to be able to kick the ball and they have nowhere to turn. I caught up with their special teams coordinator earlier on Monday he told me, and I will just read the quote uh, verbatim because it was very funny. He said, Devin Fitzsimmons tells me this wasn't a PR stunt. It was literally like, okay, what gives us the best chance to win? We did try out some other guys on the team that allegedly played soccer. Like when they were six, it was brutal. So they're trying everything they possibly can. They land on this idea of the goalkeeper from the SEC championship soccer team. She's six, two. She's got a big leg and she comes over and Fitzsimmons tells me that just like the day over day improvement was so impressive and drastic. They were just giving her film to watch of NFL kickers just to look at like the different strategies, timing, angle, all the different things that you have to think about. Um, because obviously like the steps are different than when you're a goalkeeper and you just kind of get to, you know, an, at your own pace, kick it off. So she works on that all week. And then she becomes the first woman to play in a power five conference game um, but it was a design squib kick. So what bothered me about that, and I wrote about this and you can read it on The Athletic, is that it, she did her job. She did what she was supposed to do. The fact that Vanderbilt couldn't move the ball offensively, so they couldn't score, so she didn't get any point after. They couldn't get in field goal range, so she couldn't try a field goal. There was just the one kickoff. That was the only thing she did. It opened her up to criticism because it was a squib kick. Because it was designed to do that. She did her job. And you had all of these bad faith attacks from people saying, well, was that supposed to be a squib? Again, as if it wasn't. Um, and then just this idea that like she somehow failed or she somehow didn't wasn't as good as we expected her to be when really this was Vanderbilt's offense's problem that we didn't get to see more. She was prepared to kick field goals. She was prepared to do different types of kickoffs. I mean, it, it was just really frustrating because I don't understand why so many people are fragile about this. And, and the, the idea of her playing in this game, doing what she was supposed to, helping out this other program at Vanderbilt was somehow some attack on somebody. I, I, like, I don't understand the, the anger that that moment prompted. Yeah, it's, uh, well, football's my thing because I'm a man. And uh, it's it's frustrating. Uh, but, like, here's the thing. Vanderbilt did what they've done all year, not score points. 12, 7, 7, 21, 17, 35, 17, 0. Like, that's what they've done all year. And now that they're battling COVID, they have real issues, even more issues than they had before. Guess what? Their offense is even more inept than it was before, um, which leads to Derek Mason being let go. and. Yeah. 
I don't know. It was a cool. I thought it was a cool moment for Sarah. I think it's. I think it was certainly for me for my money. It was. I don't know. As someone who's done a lot of special teams work and seen a lot of special teams, Squib and Skies, those are real things. They really exist. And if your kicker cannot put the ball all the way out of the end zone, essentially, then you probably are better off squibbing and sky kicking. Why? Because the last thing you want to do is give up a return where a guy can catch the ball at the 10 and start running and set up the blocking and have the whole scheme set up. I go back. I look at the tape. I watch them all converge on that point. That means it's planned. They have a plan. They know what they're doing. Not just her, but all 10 other 10 guys out there on the field. They all have a plan. They know what they're doing. The goal is to make them fair catch it, catch it and fall on the ground. That's what happens. I don't, I, I it's frustrating to me. But I think a lot of folks believe that just cause you just like, I think a lot of, I think a lot of men believe just cause they're men, they know things about football and they, they, they do. Yes. And that's not the way that it works. Um, I know you. I think they. I think they also. You're. You're somehow putting yourself. Like we have a lot of like unathletic, out of shape dudes, thinking that they would do something better and like stronger and more masculine in that moment, right? In in that moment of the kick, that they wouldn't squib kick. Where again, it's doing what you're supposed to. This is someone who didn't ask for this. This is someone who basically just raised her hand to help because they had no other option. She was the yeah. only kicker, only kicker who dressed. Yeah. And so, yeah, there was a lot of like squib kick Twitter experts, much like when somebody, you know, like has an injury and everyone becomes armchair doctors. It was yeah. no, armchair it, squib kick experts. It's interesting, um, especially I, I thought I found it funny when he talked about the when the coach mentioned he referenced um, talking to players about if they played soccer or anything. And this is, it's a quick anecdote and then we'll get to Mason and the Vanderbilt job. But like, we used to kick field goals all the time or try to at least. And it is so hard. But Thursdays at practice, they let you have a little bit more fun and you go out there and same thing with Fridays before the game, you have a little bit more fun. You go out there, you trade jerseys, you run around, you do this whole field, a little bit of a light walkthrough. But you used to kick field goals and we used to line up and try kickoffs and kick field goals and the whole deal. And I'll tell you who was the best at it was the line. Because the linemen have those humongous clod stoppers on, and they can just go straight toe to the football and kick it in. If you got those speed cleats, it's not going to happen. And I'm telling you what, most football players cannot kick the football. It is a special skill. Yeah. It's a skill that only ha- happens every now and then, but it is a special skill. And it's there's a reason why they didn't find a guy on that roster to be able to do it. It's not easy. And it's different than punting, which I think is also important because it's a different part of your foot. Different, different type of kick, which is also something I, I, I talked to the special teams coach about, because again, it's like a lot of this, like, you know, just knee jerk again, bad faith actors, just throwing things out there. Um, that was frustrating. And then there was also the like faux concern about her safety. If she got tackled, she is six, two, and she's a goalkeeper. She has been hit. She has had it bad. She's she's been injured. She's broken both of her feet. She's had a disc in her back. Like she's had a lot of issues and she's really tough. And so, you know, I just I loved I, I was fortunate enough there was a Zoom that Vanderbilt organized on Sunday morning with female sports reporters and we just kind of got to hang out with with Sarah for a bit and she talked about how that was the funniest thing that she read, the dumbest argument against her being on the field and having that opportunity because she's like, listen, have they watched football? There are 50 year olds 
in the NFL doing this. People aren't worried about like Adam Vinatieri getting tackled guys. Like that's just like, it was just, it was just such a, you know, a thinly veiled insult. And um, so anyway, she's sticking around. She said she wants to stick around as long as the program will have her. I'm really hopeful that Vanderbilt's offense can do something and give her opportunities. Um, you know, again, her coach was talking about that. She'd hit a couple of 38 yard field goals in practice that it sounded right coming off her foot. So that is something I really hope we get to see a day later, not, not even 24 hours later, Derek Mason gets fired. And I, I, I am curious your thoughts about that because, you know, clearly with the nation's eyes upon this game, we all, you know, watching a Vanderbilt game very closely, there were a lot of things that were a problem um, in this game. And you can see a lot of the reasons that they're 0 and 8, but that is a really, really hard job. And I think a lot of people thought they might've made a change last year. Instead, he gets a vote of confidence from AD. Then there's an AD change and Candace Lee makes the change on Sunday. What was your reaction to the news? And like, are they going to be able to attract decent candidates at a place like Vanderbilt right now when they're, Oh, and eight this year. And, and it's clear that pretty much everyone except James Franklin has run into issues at this program. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the, the big thing for me, when I think about this job and who can they attract, I think it's, it's about recognizing control. And we talk about recruiting so much in college football and we talk about schemes and X's and O's and you're going to go up tempo or you're defensive minded. We talk about all those things. But the reality is a lot of it is about what you can control. And Vanderbilt doesn't have – they're the team with the least control in the SEC. If there's a good player in Nashville, guess what? They're – what are they? Behind Bama, Auburn, Tennessee, LSU, A&M, Ole Miss. They're behind everybody else for a guy that's in their own backyard. If there's a good player across the pond – like if there's a good player across the border, they're behind everybody else for that too. So they're in a tough spot. They don't control that. They also don't control how, what it takes to get into school there. So they're not in control of that either. They're not in control of how good or bad Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, Florida are. So it takes, and I know, and I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure I got this right. Listen, in James Franklin's first year when they went six and seven, Georgia and Florida went 17 and 10. So like in the next year, they went 23 and four, which was a much better record. But the key for them, the reason that they were able to get to nine wins was because Tennessee was very bad. Kentucky was very bad. They had these other bad teams that they got to play and they had a good draw, a favorable draw, if you will, from the West. And so I think that not being able to control those things make this job harder. But and I think it was Barton Simmons and uh, Bud Elliott who from 24-7, they talked about it. They, they talked about variables maybe got to be a little bit different and different might mean it doesn't always different doesn't everybody thinks different instantly is triple option. And it doesn't always mean triple option. They may have to look at doing things a little bit differently from a recruiting standpoint, doing things a little bit differently from an on-field standpoint, working. They have to be a little more innovative offensively. Yes, that can mean wing T or it can mean option, but the reality is they're going to have to do something because they're never going to level the playing field. I think about this the same way I think about Arkansas when they hired Brett Bielema. What did you think you were going to do when you hired this guy? You thought you were going to out Alabama, Alabama with not as good players? Absolutely not. So they've got to go out and they've got to find innovative offensive minds. They got to find guys. And maybe that means you, and I'm not talking head coach, but I am talking about coordinators. I'm, they might have to go to guys that are at smaller schools, go to guys that are coming up from high school, go to guys. You got to go to guys that are incredibly hungry. You got to find guys 
that want to prove that they can do this. And you have to realize that your job's probably not going to be their final job. They want another job. And I think all those things factor into this. So I think there are good candidates for them out there. I think that obviously because Derek Mason is a defensive guy and it didn't work out, we're going to see the same thing that happens every time a, a school yep. hire, every yep. time a school hires a defensive guy and it doesn't work out, they immediately go overcorrect 100% the other way. And so we'll see what happens. Obviously, I believe they're going to hire an offensive guy, and I guess it's just going to be about who that guy is. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, obviously everyone's tossed around the one defensive name you're going to hear, which is Clark Lee from Notre Dame, um, and, and he's Freeman, an alum. I think Marcus Freeman should be on, that, on, the, on their list as well. I don't oh, know there he, you go. I don't know that he'd take the job, but the job he's done at Cincinnati has been masterful, and he comes from a group of coaches – uh, Luke Fickle, but then you also get to Trestle. Like you keep in Fickle work for Meyer. He comes from this group of guys that have done really. But good but but here's your here's your point though, and it's the same with Clark Lee. You, these guys can get better jobs. True. Like yeah. or or jobs that like just have less issues or like those more, negatives. If you're doing more, a pros no. and cons list, more yeah yeah more control. And so I listen, like, I know you're saying you don't have to go option, but I'm always pro option at places like this. Like I love, first of all, you know, I, when I was living in New York, I went up and I, I was with Jeff Munkin and army, a bunch have covered, you know, army, Navy games. And I love the way they go for it on fourth down. They're always like the best team in the country and going for it in fourth down. Just the, there's just a, an energy around it. There is a saying like, you know, whatever, you know what we're going to do, but we're going to do better than you. And we're going to beat you. Um, and so I, I think, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And when you're talking about academic institutions or institutions that have challenges recruiting, when you talk about Jeff Munkin or Ken Niamatololo, they are in that world. They live in that space all the time. And, and I think that's why you hear hear their names get get mentioned for hard jobs because yeah. they're in hard jobs. And so I love stuff like that. And I, you know, I've, I've always said, you know, at places that are in the lower tier of their power conference that you sh should think about the option. Like if I were Illinois, I would think about the option. I would think about different things because also the option is basically an extension of RPOs now. Like it's, you could, package it a little bit differently. Yes. Obviously like, you know, service Academy football and like the way that they block and the linemen and all those things, they've, you know, body constraints, but you can do things that have option principles, but are modern and are interesting and are exciting. Cause the idea is, and I think this is why you see people overcorrect is that, I don't know, the, the game is offensive minded. It's more fun. This is about putting seats in normal times, putting butts in seats. Um, and, and people to invest in the program. And, you know, at a place like Vandy too, you need to see that investment in terms of facilities and, and all of these other pieces as well. But I do think that's why you see the overcorrecting because usually if a defensive minded coach fails, it's just not enjoyable to watch the games. And I think, again, as everyone who watched Saturday's game very closely waiting for Sarah Fuller to play, it was not an enjoyable game to watch. No, you're, I think you're right. I think that the, the butts and seats line, we've heard it a million times, but it just, I, I, off, I think about this a lot as someone who has both friends and former teammates that work on the defensive side of the ball and how long it takes someone to get an opportunity and seeing guys get passed over for offensive guys who haven't done it done. I think it's, um it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. I mean, look, I love Matt Wells, right? And, and, and Yost out there at Texas Tech. And I guess maybe you're right. Maybe it, it's exciting to go three and six, but 
hey, we scored 45 points six times or four times or whatever. That makes some sense. I think it's going to be interesting to see where they – I think there, there's a couple things. It's going to be interesting to see where they look because despite being in the SEC, I do think that Vanderbilt probably needs to recruit a, a bit more nationally. And and that just – and listen, I'm from North Carolina. We, we don't have the greatest schools. And the reality is you're going to have to recruit a little bit more nationally because you got to get these kids into school. And that's just the reality. It's not like you, they can't, they can't, they can't go straight down into Mississippi and grab a bunch of kids. It's not going to work for them. Those kids aren't going to be able to get in. That's just the reality of the situation. And that's, that's just, that's you, you can look at state rankings on education and that's going to kind of give you a, an idea of where the kids that can play at Vandy are. And I hey, listen, Georgia tech kind of battles some of those same issues, yep. which is why they don't, they don't recruit as strong in Atlanta as people think they probably should, because it's tough. And, it's why Navy is national and Army is national. Stanford is national. Like, yeah. that's the reality of the situation. So I think that's another factor that you've got to look at. And, and guess what, Nicole, to recruit like that? Yeah, that costs money. It costs money. It costs money to, to get your coaches on jets and get them going out somewhere. It costs money for them to bring to fly kids in in a normal time to fly kids in from all over. It costs a lot more money than kids driving themselves in. So it's, it's not going to be easy. There are hurdles that are not – only on the field going up against Georgia or Florida or Alabama or whoever, there are other hurdles to how you construct your plan. And I think that those are elements that oftentimes people don't think about or consider because I don't think a lot of folks understand kind of the, the inner machinations of college football. Yeah. And I think, you know, some other interesting names that are kind of getting going to pop up anytime any of these jobs open, but especially SEC jobs, you've got Hugh Freeze on his, redemption tour. Um, I think we've all, you know, read the stories, we've seen the fawning coverage, um, but there's certainly that expectation that people will be interested in him again um, and what he's been doing at Liberty. Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina, having one of those years, Billy Napier at Louisiana. Like there's some really strong candidates and, and the questions for some of these jobs, like if a Michigan or a Texas opens is like, the size of the job relative to the experience level of the candidates that are kind of ready for a next step. Um, so I, I do think that's going to be interesting and something to watch. Obviously South Carolina is open right now, as well as we record Monday afternoon, um, you know, and, and as our, my colleague, Josh Kendall's reported, Shane Beamer has emerged, you know, as a strong candidate there. So it's one thing that's been interesting to me is that we're even having these conversations Felder. And I'm curious if you've thought that there was going to be a coaching cycle, like a, like a hiring and firing season this year, because maybe I was being too optimistic in the off season, but I really thought that considering the financial constraints everyone is in and the fact that people are having furloughs and pay cuts that maybe people would actually be prudent and not pay, you know, $10 million buyouts, but we are not in that world. Or $13 million buyouts. If you're South Carolina, like, yeah, I don't, it's, um, I didn't think, well, I, here's the thing. It's, it's as active as it has been. Obviously, Vanderbilt and South Carolina are the headliners. I don't know that it's going to get as active as we've seen it in the past. I think what we're seeing is a run of coaches that are both in year like two or three are going into year four where they don't want to make a move. They're going to save the money. And then on the other side, I, I, think, I think Michigan and Harbaugh are just married, and that's just what it is, and it's going to take it's going to take a, a little bit more time for that to be probably a quite ugly divorce if it's on Michigan side. Uh, there it seems like they're, and you probably know better than I do. It seems like they're just hoping somebody's like, we can hire him to the NFL. That's what it has to be. I mean, this has to be massaged, and like it's going to have to yeah. end in some sort of 
amicable looking way because, and this is, you know, Nebraska is not quite there yet either, but like these are, when, when you bring back, you know, the white whale, the, the one you always wanted to come back and coach and, and there's, it just, it, it seems like it fits perfectly. There's no real, you know, red flags. It's somebody who knows the program, a Michigan man in this sense. Um, it's really hard because they're like, they're in the fabric of your program and your history. And so um, you, you have to massage that. And I think you're seeing the, the level of frustration Nebraska fans have with Scott Frost in a way that Michigan fans have had for a couple of years now with Harbaugh, where it's just uncomfortable because you're just, you, you don't want to be in the position to criticize that person. Like that was not at all in the cards and, you, and you're not ready for that. So it's interesting in general that we're having, you know, a, 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 again, you've already got two SEC jobs open. Um, you know, it's possible that a Texas opens a Michigan, you know, that the, the, there's dominoes that fall in a pandemic, in a year where, you know, budgets are tightening. So um, that is absolutely something to keep an eye on. And, and over at The Athletic, Chris Vanini has started his tracker, which basically keeps it all in, in one place. Um, but, but before we wrap up, Felder, I do want to get your thoughts, um, you know, on where the Heisman race stands. Because, you know, as we worked through a few weeks ago on this very podcast, um, we both feel pretty strongly about this, this idea of can – someone win a Heisman if they're not the best player on their own team. And with Kyle Trask and Mac Jones being the front runners right now for this award may very well happen. But, but I mean, like to me, there's a lot of really good candidates. I I could see this year being pretty scattered. Although honestly, those two quarterbacks will face each other and the winner will probably win the thing, but still like there are other ways like Kyle Pitts is back. He's awesome. Like he's still around Jarrett Patterson just had a phenomenal performance. Everyone kind of woke up to him. I don't know if these guys can win it, but it, it's just, I don't know. I just, I don't want this to only be quarterbacks every single year. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, here's the reality. If you're interested in it just being a quarterback award, like there's two things that we can do. We can change it to the quarterback with the best stats on the best team award, which is what it is. Or we can just change. Listen, change. they've already changed. What was it? Uh, several years ago, they changed it to the Heisman. They added what? With integrity to the Heisman mantra? Or did they take that part out? I don't remember. They, they might, they, I know they added it in. They might have taken it back out. But the, my point is, it's not like you can't change it. You've already changed it before. Then maybe you changed it back. But guess what? All you have to do is just change it. Just change it from most outstanding player to most outstanding quarterback with good stats. So... I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see because um, obviously we had the return of Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson is an absolute beast the way that he plays. But I mean, Najee Harris is Najee Harris and Devonta Smith are completely and totally insane the way that they play. And I love Najee. I got to spend some time, like a week with him. Um, goodness, his senior year. And he's such a good kid. I've never seen so. I've well, that's not true. I've seen plenty of people's eyes light up when they get in and out, but he was very, very excited for getting in and out. So he's <laughs> he's a good dude, though. So I, I really like him. And it's always like you get, watch him play. And the way that he smiles, it's like, I know I'm good. I'm out here just having fun with my boys. We're playing some football. So, And and then you mentioned Kyle Pitts, who's just an absolute freak. So, yeah, I, I think that, honestly, we're – it is what it is. Like, the, it's – it's that's what it is. Like, we can't – there's nothing – I can't do anything about it. Nothing we can do about it. That's just going to be what it is. And – we're going to have to watch a virtual award ceremony and, and be like, okay, I guess. Yes, we will. We will. And, and it's going to be, it's, it's one of those years where like, we're going to look at 
the draft order from the NFL draft. We're going to look at some of the careers like a Kyle Pitts is going to have. Some of these guys are going to have Trevor Lawrence is going to have Trevor Lawrence doesn't win the Heisman. And he, he didn't play for a month, like it sure. out of sight, out of mind, data points, whatever. I guess we can just use that phrase for Heisman stuff too. But like the best player in the draft will probably not be the Heisman winner, at least, you know, in, in, in my perspective. And so, or the best NFL career, like, we'll we'll see how that all shakes out. And that, not that that has to be in any part of the calculation, but it is interesting that like some of the best and the most talented players in the country are not probably going to be finalists. Not even considered, not even considered, won't be considered. And for the record, Trevor Lawrence has played what seven football games. He's played seven games. Something like that. Yeah. Trask has played eight. Like, okay. Out of sight, out of mind. Felder. Yeah. Which we, just for, we forgot about him. Which is, that's crazy to think about. I think about him all the time. I mean, goodness. <laughs> my Listen, my, my dad and brother are diehard Jets fans, which, I mean, God bless them. But they've been thinking about him all, to, all the time, too. And they have just been thrilled that they haven't fired their head coach yet because they think that that is securing the top pick. So, um, so that, that's something too. And Clemson did, you know, that's another thing coming out of the weekend. They did basically say goodbye to Trevor Lawrence. Um, even though there was that weird, like 24 hour news cycle earlier this season where he sort of like walked back the fact that this would be his last season. I mean, he was NFL ready possibly after his freshman year. So, um, they finally acknowledged that, which, which I think is good and, and fair. Um, and you know, I think, I think that that's all great. And, and, you know, before before we actually wrap, though, we have to do our last call segment, which is always I mean, it tends to be a rant, but theoretically, this could also be a positive. This can be something that we celebrate before we go. We cheers to. But most of the time it's like, you know, we're just last call. Just need a drink. Just got to get out of here. Got to got to just get something off your chest. And Felder, I will let you go first because um, I'm a little I'm a little concerned about how spicy my take is. Yeah, Um. here's my thing. I am not a fan of coaches putting their hands on players. I certainly am not a fan of them screaming in players' faces. And so when I see that from Ed Orgeron, I just want to walk – this is the reason I'm upset. He grabbed him, did the whole look at me, look at me thing, and here's the reality behind that situation. A week ago, Ed Orgeron told everyone, well, I told TJ, I told TJ when you get in trouble, just throw it to two. And – you look at that interception that he ended up getting yelled that in bench for, and I'm literally playing it to myself right now. They bring a pre- they bring a disguised pressure late. It's a it's pressure from TJ's left. They bring pressure there. They roll a safety down. Safety rolls down on top of Gilbert. Okay, we got that happening. And boom, what happens? That safety switches over to cover the shallow crosser. What you have is a linebacker in the hole who moves up towards the sticks to cover Gilbert. Oh, guess what? Gilbert doesn't know that there's vacated space right there. Why? Because he's a freshman. So the freshman doesn't know to stop. The redshirt freshman doesn't recognize the pressure until it's already on top of him. By the way, the offensive line didn't do him any favors. And then he ends up getting yelled at, getting yelled at, getting yelled at by the chest. And then the other part that gets me, and this is something that I've hated for a long time, is the way that television constantly shows dejected players uh, especially someone like Finley who had been benched. So we get a guy who needs to be – what he needs is some teaching on why that blitz wh- – what happened with that blitz, why he d- didn't see the look. Gilbert needs to be taught, oh, this is where you sit down in this concept because once he passes you off, 
you're going to run into the next defender and that's going to be an interception. So you have to sit down here, but none of that was going on right there. All that was going on was yelling. All that was going on was TJ Finley standing on the sidelines by himself for the remainder of the game and then constantly being shown on television. And that just, it all kind of combined to get me, to get me revved up. Yeah. And, and as a corollary to that, I mean, at least they got rid of the rule where if you got ejected for targeting, you had to have your walk of shame, which was also televised, which people would also yell at you. I mean, that was also something that just like was unnecessary and finally gone. Um, My, my last call rant is honestly, it was the most frustrating thing in, in weeks. It was Lance Leopold pulling Jarrett Patterson when they were about to score a touchdown. He had eight rushing touchdowns in the game, which tied Howard Griffith's record. Howard's giving me a hard time since this because I was very angry that he was pulled and the record was not beat. So now, but Howard still has it now. They, they share the record, but he also had 409 rushing yards. He also was in with it within reach of a single game rushing record and he gets pulled. And after the game, Buffalo coach Lance Leopold says he didn't know. First of all, let's work through this. One, you pulled him the play after, after he got over 400 rushing yards. So you knew, you knew that he was close to 400 rushing yards. There is no one on that sideline that is counting the touchdowns. Come on. The, the backup running back got two touchdowns in this game. In a game where you're, where you're running back was this close to making history would have been in the history books and mentioned every single time that there was an insanely, you know, insane individual performance from a running back. You would be brought up Buffalo. You and Jarrett Patterson. Anyway, so my thing with this is if you were on the other end of the field, you know, if, if you know, the, they finally out of nowhere, Kent State just started to defend the run, you know, like something happened and you needed to pull him, that's fine. But you're in the final minutes of the game. You're about to score, which you did score. Your backup running back scored the touchdown. And you took him out and you took him out. And, and there, there needs to be someone on the sidelines. This is what sports information directors are for. This is what low level grad assistants are for. Somebody has got to tell him history is about to be made. Don't pull him. Yeah. I, 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 my, I was, I was screaming at my TV. I am just still very angry about this. This only happens. This is history. This is, this is, oh, I, I just, I, I, I will never forgive Lance Leopold for this. Yeah. I mean, he has 700 yards in two games. That's in, that's a season. That's a that's a that's a that's a decent 12 game season for a lot of running backs across college football. 700 yards. Like I'm gonna I want to pull this up. I want to see. I'm not. Gonna, I don't care about 2020. Let me go to 2019. What seven 700 yards will get you? 700 yards could get you on the list. 700 yards could get you right at, right on the fringes of being in the top one of the top 100 running backs in college football. It could get you there, depending on what your per game average is. Like that can get you there. That's crazy. It's insane. Jarrett Patterson is doing his thing. Wish he got the record. Should have got the record. I think should have got the record. You're spot on. Yeah, that would have been. I'm st- I, I am still upset about this. I I don't think I'm gonna ever get over this. Like there's only so many moments where you're watching history, and and it was lined up to do it. The other guy scored the touchdown. Like you would have scored the touchdown. Anyway, I will never, never forgive Lance Leopold for that. So, I mean, honestly, the only thing he can do to make this up for me is to give Jarrett Patterson nine touchdowns next week. 
that's, that's, that's all that's, that's what will have to be done. Um, but we'll, we'll leave it there because I, I really feel like I got a lot off my shoulders. I feel a little bit better. We'll learn more about these teams. We'll see something more insane from Jarrett Patterson. Um, and maybe we'll have more coach openings to talk about next week. Who knows? The chaos is all consuming right now. Everyone's just scrambling to try to finish the season to get games in, to switch around opponents, to do whatever they need to do. And so are we, we're not used to playing regular season games at this point in the calendar. So we are buckled up. <laughs> it's a nice way to put it. Well, I know you're miserable and you're just upset that we have to work so much in December. Usually there's a break. I, I understand. I know, I know what the, you're, you're laughing, but I can see the tears in your eyes. Oh yeah. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Well, we will get out of here for Power Hour. Um, Andy Staples will be back for the next show on Wednesday. Ari Wasserman will be back with Andy on Fridays, as always, doing some sort of ridiculous bet, as they often do. We will see you next Tuesday on Power Hour. Thank you so much for listening. For Michael Felder, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and we'll talk to you soon. 